Welcome back to the Advent Calendar House, the official holiday podcast for people who market metal files to zoo monkeys. Please don't do that in real life. We are inching ever so much more closely to Christmas Eve, so strap on your cardboard wings and buckle up as we take a two-dimensional flight back to 1999 to revisit Olive the Other Reindeer. I am unemployed penguin ready to make you a deal on an extremely valuable watch, Mike Westfall. The typos mean they're rare. And joining me is my hard-of-hearing pet flea who's only here to mistakenly tell you your family doesn't want you here. Please welcome back Aaron Evans. Hello, Aaron. Olive! (laughs) And an injured reindeer's flightless cousin who just got very excited that I'm introducing him as this. It's Joey O. Hey, Joey. That's me. <laughs> we'll get there. We will. So refresh my memory. Did one or both of you request this one? I think I brought it up, but I brought it up because the reason that we're getting to. Honestly, I think I only saw this once when it first aired in 99. I had no idea until you tweeted about it and you got a bunch of really like excited replies and people were like, oh, this was, I love this. This ran on Nickelodeon for years and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, I didn't know it was such a beloved. Yeah, Cartoon Network ran this all the time. And like, oh, I, did, I was not aware of that. I'm sure I saw it at least once. Um, but I also worked in a bookstore and I worked mm-hmm. in the children's section a lot more than a lot of other employees did because I paid attention and I knew <laughs> where things were. So. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm glad you did. I think the last time I had watched this was maybe 2004 when I also worked in a bookstore. <laughs> uh, I was late to get a DVD player compared to most of my friends. So 2004 was when I picked up a lot of Christmas specials I didn't have taped off the TV. And this was one of them. But even then, five years after it aired on TV, I remember this being very popular. And then I feel like a few years later, it suddenly wasn't anymore. Hmm. According to Wikipedia, the last time it was on TV was 2010, which surprises me when we have so many cable channels now doing, well, basically this, counting down to Christmas with a different show every day. Or not airing Charlie Brown Christmas. Or not airing Charlie Brown Christmas. (laughs) I cut the cord this year, so I'm watching it the same way I always do. Let's take a step back to the beginning. All of the Other Reindeer debuted December 17th, 1999 on Fox, exactly 10 years to the minute after the premiere of The Simpsons, which it got to do because it was produced and presented by Matt Groening. Based on a children's book by author Vivian Walsh and illustrator J. Otto Siebold or Seibold. I think he just goes by J. Otto anyway. So There we go. Otto Man. Otto Man. Hey, are these cars like they do double guitars? <laughs> Olive is based on Vivian Walsh's own Jack Russell Terrier. And if you've ever seen this special, this is J. Otto's art style. Computer animated, but still two-dimensional. And because it's 1999, this style is still very new, and it still feels very stylized in 1999 when I was watching this again. We watched the uh, behind-the-scenes video. that you can. I'm sure it was from the DVD, but it's on YouTube. And there's a lot of talk about showing how it's rendered, and a lot of monitors from 1999. Oh, yeah. They're, they're comparing it to Toy Story at the time. And now I'm sure all of it is just... A million trillion times outdated. Oh, absolutely! Very small, like like tiny little like console slash monitors in one. But 
but as I told Joey, I'm like, yeah, well, we sent people to the moon with actual cards. So yeah, that's true. Whatever. <laughs> One more thing about the animation style that Aaron said right away was. I just kept saying, this is just Paul Rappa. Isn't this Paul Rappa? <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I, I, okay. I didn't have a PlayStation. Neither did I. I never saw Paul Rappa the Rappa. Jelly and his friends reference it often. So lately he's been showing me like little clips here and there. And I'm like, this, that's exactly what it is. They're totally flat. They're just sort of like floating in a background. And that's what it looks like to me. And but also I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of the art style, but that's just me. It's super, super stylized. It's, it's very unique, obviously, but, um, but yeah, it, it's just, it's just like these, these goofy animals <laughs> and, and they're like floating in 2d. It's definitely Paul Rappa the Rappa. <laughs> I didn't put those two together. You're, you're absolutely right though. And like the animation is very fluid, especially when they speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Going back to that making of special, I, I, was astounded to see that they were rendering this in what looked like Windows 98 yeah. on these which was state of the art. <laughs> which, well, yeah, it was state of the art and it was just like a Gateway 2000 computer with the big yeah. off-white getting close to yellow already monitor. Yeah. I was very much impressed by like the literal walls full of um of hand-drawn storyboards cuz Yeah. I miss that. <laughs> you don't see that anymore. No. But it's not a bad art style. It's very charming. But no, like it, you it said, is very charming. Stylized. It's whimsical, let me say. Yes, whimsical. I like that word. There you go. <laughs> like the typeface in the opening credits is very mismatched. Mm-hmm. All the characters look like they're each from a different font, but somehow they also <laughs> look like they belong together as part of a set. Yeah. It's weird. But it's certainly not a new thing. That's Jay Otto's style, a book by him and Walsh from 1993 called Mr. Lunch Takes a Plane Ride. <laughs> Was that one of the Mr. Men? Mr. Lunch? It <laughs> should be. Oh, Mr. Lunch is a dog that doesn't look unlike, you know, if Olive and Snoopy had a baby. <laughs> ah. Well, that That'd was the Christmassiest baby ever, right. except, be. except for, you know, somebody else that's more of a Christmas baby. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, But Mr. Lunch Takes a Plane Ride was the first children's picture book created with digital media. So the animation part might have been new, but not the digital art at all. So respect. The TV special was nominated for an Emmy for Best Animated Program more than an hour long, which no, it is not. But I guess commercials count. But it lost to the Discovery Channel's Walking with Dinosaurs, featuring CGI dinosaurs walking around filmed locations. Oh, that was very much hyped. That's why. That was so hyped. (laughs) I remember there were a million commercials for it. Like, whoa, you'll never believe these dinosaurs walking. I will, because I've heard was not was before. (laughs) (laughs) So let's jump into it. We open with a song about the days still remaining till Christmas, sung by Olive herself, voiced by Drew Barrymore. Every day special, I'm not complaining, but I'm always counting the days still remaining till Christmas. <laughs> oh, wow. Brand new talk show host Drew Barrymore as we're recording this. Have, have you seen that? Not yet. It's, I mean... It's 
adorable. We'll use that Fox term. It's very (laughs) over the top and ridiculous. It's cute, but it's just like, she's going way over. Like I love folding clothes. I'm going to do a five minute segment on how much I love folding laundry at home. It makes me so happy. And I'm going to get, you know, daytime TV airtime to show you how much I love it. (laughs) I have not seen it myself. I know that, um, I also have not watched any of the Saturday Night Lives that have been like digital or remote or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that Joey does. And he said that they even like referenced it there. And um, and that watching it is like watching like a really, really bad mom joke. Yeah, <laughs> she does. She does a weekend update parody where she's like running around the streets in like a reporter like hat and a microphone. Like this is Drew's news. Drew's news. Like she'll, like it, it's very. <laughs> It's it's cute, but it's like I can't believe this is a real TV show at the same time. Oh my god! But that's no everyone, you know, no shade on Drew Barrymore. No, absolutely not. It's very delightful. Yeah, she's really good in this. By the way, she does a great job. She knocks it out of the park. She has a very good singing voice. Yeah. My complaint about this opening song is that it's too short. Yeah. I would have liked to have her get to sing some more. Um. And I. Briefly forgot whether Drew Barrymore was in any other prominent Christmas media till I remembered, oh my goodness, Babes in Toyland. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't think I ever saw that version. Oh, no, you need either. to see that version. <laughs> so the, it, Keanu Reeves is in it. Pat Morita <laughs> is in it. Uh, what's his face from Empty Nest? Oh, you know, what's his face? Dreyfus the dog? <laughs> yes. <laughs> or Richard Mulligan? Richard Mulligan, thank you. Not David Leisure. That was my next. Not no, <laughs> no, it was Joe Richard. Is Joe Sus- in Toyland. I mean, he wouldn't be out of place. But, Toy cars. <laughs> but during this song, we get to know Olive is a friendly and helpful pup about town, helping a family of mice trying to carry home a human-sized Christmas tree by instead offering them an air freshener. So thoughtful. Here you go. All that wonderful piney smell and no needles to vacuum up. It's on me. Merry Christmas. Oh, Olive, it's perfect. Thank you. Then she goes on her way, crossing the road, and a mail truck driven by a very visibly angry postman almost hits her. Every time I watch this, I forget and go, ah, look out! (laughs) That's our soft introduction to the postman. Uh, And it's not even that Olive's jaywalking or anything. She has the right of way and is in the crosswalks. (laughs) This postman's hard stop is his own fault, doesn't yell at her, just gives her a wild-eyed stare. And she doesn't even notice as she's humming along to herself. Uh, And then she stops to check out some genuine Rolex watches. That's Rolex with three X's being (laughs) sold by Martini the Penguin, voiced by Joe Pantoliano. I also got pens and stationery real cheap. Why does it all say City Zoo? I used to work there. The office supplies were my severance package when I uh, left to pursue other opportunities. Joey Pants! Let's note that really quick there, Olive and Martini. But I'm bummed. I can't believe I didn't get that until right now. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Chef's kiss. So, (laughs) friends, what's the first movie you think of when you think of Joe Pantoliano? The Matrix? Yeah, I would say The Matrix too. Memento? Yeah, Memento. Memento. Remember Sammy Jenkins? <laughs> uh, for me, it's the Goonies. Oh, I never yeah. saw the Goonies. What? <laughs> I'm a terrible 80s kid. Eh, you'll get around to it. 
I feel like I've never seen it start to finish. It's one of the movies I've seen pieces of over the years, but yeah, I never saw it. Yeah, that's a lot. Well, that's that's got the the Back to the Future syndrome where it's always on TV, so you're not going to see the beginning or the ending unless you actually dedicate time to do it. I know the Goonies too, though. My friend had that. <laughs> I'm so. When I realized that they didn't make a sequel about a mermaid, I was kind of upset. People like, what? There was a Nintendo game. They made a sequel to the Goonies, but only as a Nintendo game. <laughs> I don't think the U.S. formally got the Goonies one. I think it might have been Japan only. I, I don't remember. But anyway, for me, it's the Goonies, then the Matrix, then Memento. You're right. But this penguin's voice is unmistakably Joey Pants. He's <laughs> selling not only watches, but other merchandise from the city zoo, which he says was a severance package when he left to pursue other opportunities. And as someone who has had to accept a severance package in the past, I'm so glad it wasn't a collection of branded coffee mugs. <laughs> He's also he also makes a joke about like selling dirty magazines, doesn't he? So, yeah, he does. Um, And and, you know. There, that's just an introduction to so many things in this that are that are definitely geared toward adults or like snarky, like young adults. There's a lot of snark in this. Like, <laughs> and and I didn't know that Rolex had three X's in it. The typo makes it more valuable. <laughs> uh, he almost runs into trouble with a police officer who's caught him selling counterfeit watches before, but these he gifts as a gift. To his dear new friend Olive, who covers for him despite having no reason to do so. He hasn't earned this, but Olive is a good egg, so her instinct must be to help others. Cop leaves and Martini thanks Olive by allowing her to buy a watch from him for nine bucks. Oh! <laughs> then she goes home to her human, Tim, voiced by Jay Moore. How are your dog chores coming? Did you bury any bones today? No, Tim. Chase any cars or cats? Afraid not. Did you even make a token attempt to tear up any flower beds? Uh-uh. Jay Moore! <laughs> <laughs> Jay Moore has such a, a completely, you know, indistinct voice. It could have been anybody, so... Sorry, Jay Moore. I was saving the Don Pardo joke for another guest a little later. Well, but I'll use it then, too. too. It works. <laughs> Perfect. I like doing my Don Pardo. <laughs> Jay Moore. I remember Jay Moore from the short-lived TGIF show, yes, Camp, Camp Wilder. Wilder. Yeah. I didn't have cable, but I watched TGIF. So. Camp Wilder had, wait, it had, was it, what was her name? Mary something. She was in a lot of different TGIF shows. Yeah. And um, Jay Moore always wore like a Jets jersey, which my friend Sean appreciated. Yeah, he was like the token obnoxious friend of one of the kids, but yeah, he was the Kimmy Gibbler. But <laughs> Camp Wilder was in that doomed 930 spot replacing Baby Talk <laughs> after the novelty of Look Who's Talking But a TV Show wore off and then was later replaced with the equally short-lived Where I Live starring Dougie Doug. Ooh, I didn't see that. Oh, that I was Dougie Doug's kind of. 15 minutes of fame before Cool Runnings became his 15 minutes of fame. Oh, but I watched Dougie Doug on Cosby on CBS. But we can't oh, talk about yes. That. No, we can't. <laughs> I, I just want to point out that at the time. These shows were given such a, a longer length, <laughs> like they were given chances. And if you still couldn't make it, that was really sad. Never forget that they tried to make a show out of the cavemen from the Geico commercial. Yep. That was around this time. That aired like two episodes. Yeah. 
Well, again, it's that doomed 930 spot. That's where they test these things. It's like that last skit on SNL. Sometimes it's a hit. Sometimes, most of the time, it's, why are we still awake? (laughs) So here, Jay Moore is Olive's human. We'll call him that instead of her owner. Uh, He kind of acts fatherly, asking about her, quote, dog chores. So the deal is, Olive doesn't act very much like a dog. And for some reason, Tim doesn't like that. I should add, he's also upset because according to him, there's no Christmas this year. And that's when we noticed he's taking down the Christmas lights off his house. We're not quite sure what that's all about yet. Because we follow Olive into her doghouse where we meet her pet flea, Fido. And it's Peter McNichol. He's known for years that you're not like other dogs. He even teases you for having a pet flea. Why is he so upset all of a sudden? (laughs) I think we all know what we think of Peter McNichol. (laughs) It is Regal. (laughs) The Upper West Side. Peter McNichol doing his normal voice in anything always throws me off. Well, I, I know that his his voice, you know, when you don't hear him as as Janos, mm-hmm. um, is a little odd because both of us, you know, like Ghostbusters so much and Ghostbusters too, even so. Um, but I mean, I've, I've seen him in so many other things and it's still a little bit odd because there's so many reruns of Ghostbusters 2 on TV. That that when he when he was on Shield briefly, like Agents of C- of Shield, we're like, oh, right. he's talking normal. <laughs> Allie McBeal, he was on Allie McBeal. I right? watched yep. Allie McBeal. I, I watched, watched enough of it to remember him being on it. I watched enough, a lot of Peter McNichol in my life, more so than <laughs> I realized. But it's still a little bit odd having seen Ghostbusters two about I don't know a hundred times in the last ten years. Yeah, that. <laughs> and another thing I've watched him in a lot is Adam's Family Values, where he's oh yeah, yeah. and yes. uh, an overly happy camp counselor. Yeah, yeah, which is a lot closer to his normal voice, but it's still like he's overly he's peppy. He's overselling the peppy. Yeah. Yeah. Thankfully, this is not his normal voice. No. Uh, Here he's Fido the pet flea. And this universe has a weird pet dynamic. (laughs) The animals talk. Fido identifies himself as Olive's pet. And Olive is clearly Tim's pet. But they talk to each other like they're roommates almost. So what Mm. constitutes a pet here? Subservience. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Maybe it's parental and it's just like adopting a kid. Yeah. But now the kid is grown up, so you talk to your kid like a grown up. Sure. Well, Olive's trying to wrap gifts, but gets tape all over her arms because she doesn't have opposable thumbs. And while they're doing this, Fido turns on the radio and they fiddle with it a bit until they hear a breaking news story that Santa Claus may cancel his Christmas flight after one of his reindeer, specifically Blitzen, is injured and can't fly. We then hear a soundbite from Santa, and it's the voice of Ed Asner. Four years before Elf. Ho, ho, ho. I'm not sure if I'll have to cancel, but it doesn't look good. Maybe somehow we'll make do with all of the other reindeer. So I looked it up. I was like, wait, Ed Asner has played Santa before. According to IMDb, he has seven yep. different Santa credits. And, and here we go. He is part of the International Santa Claus Hall of Fame. He's a charter member in December of 2015. Oh. Well, good. He deserves it. Uh, for Elf alone, but... I've never seen Elf. Really? <laughs> yeah. It's Treat so yourself. We were going to watch it, and then it wasn't available, like, for streaming in any uh, way. Yeah. 
Mickey Rooney is also in this Hall of Fame and a bunch of people I've never heard of. But yeah. no Mick Foley. <laughs> uh, in 1996, Ed Asner voiced Santa in The Story of Santa Claus, an animated TV special directed by the late Toby Bluth, brother of Don and fellow sure. Disney alumnus, and apparently aired on CBS. I've never seen this and I want to now. <laughs> On the to-do list, it's got Ed Asner as Santa, Betty White as Mrs. Claus, Aww. and a wizardly elf voiced by Tim Curry. Ooh. Gotta do that eventually now. And it's Fido who mishears Santa. Did Santa just say Olive, the other reindeer? He said maybe we'll make do with all of the other reindeer. And this, kids, is called a Mondegreen. <laughs> I don't recall specifically, but I believe that in the book, I don't even remember if there's a Fido in the book, but I'm pretty sure that it's just Olive herself mishearing the lyrics to Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, like hearing it, like overhearing it as a song. And then when she gets home, she hears it on the radio and then she, she hears Olive, the other reindeer, and then she's like, okay, well, I guess I better go to the North Pole and pull that sleigh. <laughs> oh, I, I got to go to work now. But I guess she never heard the rest of the song because the end of that line is that all of the other reindeer used to laugh and call Rudolph names. So I don't think that she should be identifying as that particular reindeer if that's yeah, what all of does. I don't remember doing that. I should go apologize. Right. <laughs> but this concept is called a Mondegreen, so coined by writer Sylvia Wright, who misheard a lyric by Thomas Percy, laid him on the green as Lady Mondegreen. Who? Exactly. There's a bathroom on the right. <laughs> it's a common thing to mishear song lyrics. The most common example I always hear is Purple Haze, and people apparently thought Jimi Hendrix saying, excuse me while I kiss this guy. I never thought that, but do either of you have a favorite Mondegreen or perhaps a lyrics you misheard yourself once? Oh, goodness. Other than the one I just said. Yeah. Feeling like a ham and mustard shake. Oh, yeah, that's the best one. <laughs> <laughs> the stupidest one I can think of is I thought the black eyed peas were saying, fill up my car, Mazel Tov. Is it fill up my cup? Yeah, yeah it's fill up my cup. And now every time I stop <laughs> for gas, I think about it. <laughs> but this isn't the first example of the monogreen in a Christmas song. In fact, a misheard lyric in another Christmas song became the eventual standard in the earliest known printing of the 12 days of Christmas from around 1780, the line is for collie birds, C-O-L-L-E-Y, which meant black birds. Now, because it's been misheard so many times that someone along the way gave up, it's for calling birds. Hmm. Just like Fido thinks Santa is calling out to Olive for help, despite her trying to explain what Santa actually said, Fido insists he's on to something. That's why Olive doesn't act like a normal dog. Maybe she's a reindeer. There's also a lot of really quick uh, gags on the radio when he's uh, changing the stations. Check out the Marzipan Shacks pre-Ramadan clearance sale. What is it? High-pitched sound only I can hear. Forget it. Tonight on Fox, the world's wildest mistletoe accidents. I think that's Billy West's voice, which comes up later. And it's right around here that they hear Tim calling Olive and she hides because she doesn't want him to shout at her again. It's not a way he's used to acting to her. So he talks to her through the windows of her doghouse and it's a bit muffled, but we understand what he's saying. He's apologizing for the way he acted, but Fido keeps mishearing him translating. You didn't do anything wrong. Santa's not flying and I took it out on you. 
You always do everything wrong. Santa's not flying, and I shook a, a trout fondue. We can still have Christmas. Come on in the house. I'm lighting the Yule log, and there's a space for you. You can't kill my Christmas. Get out of this house. I'm getting a new dog, and I'm replacing you. I was so mad at this flea. I know! <laughs> like, Olive, he doesn't love you! Only after re-watching it this time did I realize the entire reason this special exists is because of a misheard lyric, and Fido just misheard not only all of the under-reindeer, but everything Tim just said. He doesn't have ears! He's a flea! Yes! <laughs> Please don't have ears. So the prospect of Tim replacing her and re blaming her for Christmas being canceled is apparently enough for Olive to want to actually go to the North Pole and help Santa pull his sleigh. What resolve? She rushes out of the doghouse telling Fido she loves him and asking if he could finish wrapping her presents, which is a bit of a daunting task for the flea, who seems to be quite flea-sized, maybe a touch bigger. But we see her run past the zoo where we get a glimpse of monkeys therein using metal files to break out. That's foreshadowing. I love the whole scene with the zoo, by the way, because the monkeys are in a cage that says ook ook. The yes. frogs are in a cage that says ribbit. It's they're they're all just they're, it doesn't have the actual animals' names on it. It just has what they say on it to help you converse. <laughs> right before Olive run, maybe maybe that's how they can all talk to each other. It's like someone's got a babble fish. <laughs> right before Olive runs into that disgruntled postman from before, spilling his letters all over the sidewalk. But he's much more cheerful now in that kind of familiar voice is Dan Castellaneta. Santa's not flying. He's through. Yes, but... At last, we're breaking the cycle of despair. By next year, people will have forgotten about Christmas. They all go out for frosty chocolate milkshakes, boy. <laughs> no, actually, Aaron nailed exactly what voice Dan Castellaneta is doing. He's uh -oh. only doing Robot Devil and nothing else. Oh... You're right. I was trying to figure it out because it sounds just enough like Homer that we know it's him. But it's also it's just different enough to not be the same voice. When he sings in a second, I hear a bit of crusty accidentally <laughs> squeezing in there. No, it's Robot Devil. You're right. It's, and Robot Devil sings quite a lot. And that's definitely Robot Devil. <laughs> yeah. I got to put Futurama in here. All right. It's happening. <laughs> But here, this postman is in a much better mood at the moment because he, for one, welcomes the idea of Christmas being canceled because Christmas makes his job harder, what with all the extra packages and cards he has to deliver. And this is enough of a pain to him that he sings a whole song about it called Bob, Bug, and Hum. One flimsy little Christmas card. Surely that can't be too hard, but multiply it a billion fold and see why Christmas leaves me cold. Christmas, bah, bug, and hum. Which I get where that comes from, but why? <laughs> it's fun. I liked it a lot. Because it's odd? Yeah, it's a cute song. I didn't get the joke. Is it, maybe is it that he dislikes Christmas so much he doesn't even get the reference right? Perhaps. That's what I was thinking. Okay. Like it's bah, humbug. It's not bah, hu, hum, comma, bug. No. <laughs> Also, this song features a bunch of letters flying around on the screen, including one with a stamp priced at eight cents. Where do they live <laughs> that stamps cost eight cents, even in 1999? Yeah, is this the 50s or 1999? Ah, we got it! 
that's the future day. <laughs> but also, I'd like to just point out that it's not that he's evil. It's not that he hates Christmas. It's just that he just doesn't want to do his job. Yeah. Get a new job. Right? <laughs> it's December and you're a mailman. This happens. You knew you were signing up for this. Well, Olive unfazed tells the postman her plan to head to the North Pole and help Santa, and he immediately shuts her down because she's not a reindeer. She can't fly. You can't do anything. But she's having none of it, and off she goes to the bus station where four jokes are happening here at once. One, the security officer asks Olive, riding or chasing? Because as far as we all know, she's still a dog. Two, the bus station is called Movehound. Mm-hmm. Quick, think of the weirdest color to replace gray. <laughs> Movehound. I tried to think of a cartoon dog's close to the color mauve and landed on Courage the Cowardly Dog. <laughs> uh, there is a sign that says, ask about Movehound special fares for drifters. That's such a Simpsons sign joke. <laughs> and lastly, there's Martini the Penguin hanging out in an ice machine outside because he's a penguin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He spots Olive and follows her into the bus station where Olive talks to a woman at the ticket booth. And that voice is Kath Susie. Bus N34 connects at Arctic Junction boarding right now. Hey. I don't think I've mentioned her name on this podcast before. But I covered the Rugrats Hanukkah special where she's the voice of Phil and Lil DeVille as well as their mother, Betty. What do you guys know Kath Susie from? Anything else? Oh, I mean, she's been everything. I just pulled up her. Um, well, she she wasn't part of DuckTales, though. She's in Tiny Toons. Yeah, she was in Tiny Toons. She was in that movie that everyone loves that we didn't, that Aaron and I have not seen, which is Space Jam. I was going to say, she's she's Lola Bunny, probably her most notable voice role. Uh, in Tiny Toons, she was Fifi La Fume and Little Sneezer the Mouse. Oh, wait, no, here it is. Sorry. She was Janine on Real Ghostbusters. Oh, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Uh, she was the Wind Planeteer Linka. And Princess Sally in that Sonic the Hedgehog cartoon on Saturday mornings. Don't forget about Sally or Sonic fans will get mad at you. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Kath Susie, uh, only in here really quickly, but I immediately recognized her voice. Olive wants to buy a bus ticket to the North Pole and Martini walks up behind her and proclaims, make that two tickets, followed by, will you pay for my ticket? (laughs) And after enough crying and groveling, Olive's about to give in, but yoink! The postman abducts her, claiming she committed mail fraud. We're recording this in October, so I hope this is the first time in a while you've heard the words mail fraud. Oh, God. <laughs> um, he, he runs off a couple of the reasons she's committed mail fraud, and my favorite one was licking the self-affixing stamps. <laughs> How dare you? Moving on, security guards just taking the postman's word for it, I guess. He starts walking away with Olive, struggling under his arm, calling out for Martini to help her as she helped him. He's already on the steps of the bus shouting, I'll root for you on court TV! (laughs) Until his conscience gets the better of him and he saves Olive by making the postman trip on some office pens. They safely get on the bus and Olive explains her quest that she heard Santa on the radio say, Olive the other reindeer... And we suddenly hear laughter in another familiar voice. It's the bus driver, Tim Meadows. <laughs> Excuse me, Olive, but Santa said all of the other reindeer. I'm afraid you just misunderstood. It happens all the time. 
I used to think the Pledge of Allegiance was about me, Richard Stans. Yeah, I laughed. It's not even the best monogreen in this special, but it's a good one. But here we find out Martini wants to go to the North Pole because if Christmas is being canceled, he wants to buy all of Santa's toys at a discount and resell them. He has a plan. And it's not a terrible one. Also on the bus is a vacationing couple going home to their native North Pole metropolitan area. It's supposed to be an Inuit couple, but the husband's wearing a Hawaiian vacation shirt and both of them are voiced by white people doing Canadian accents. So <laughs> could have been worse. I think that maybe, you know, anything nor anything south of the North Pole is like going to Hawaii for them, perhaps. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, the husband is Billy West. We were vacationing down here. The 40 degree temperatures were fun for a while, but it'll be nice to get home. And the wife is Tress McNeil. Do you know Santa's reindeer? Oh, sure. They're really big. Two or three times bigger than you. Tress shows up multiple times in this, of course, because of course she does. Naturally. They mentioned to Olive that the reindeer were there from were a lot larger and have antlers, but Olive's starting to believe that she might be a reindeer now. Anything to explain why she doesn't act like a dog, despite Martini's insistence that, well... I'm from a zoo. I know reindeer. I work with reindeer. Reindeer were friends of mine. You, Olive, are no reindeer. That, kids, is a reference to the 1988 vice presidential debate in which Dan Quayle compared his... What? Oh, jeez. I have so many typos in this one for some reason. Did you spell potato wrong? No. (laughs) In which Dan Quayle compared his amount of experience in Congress to John F. Kennedy's when he ran for president, to which his opponent, Lloyd Benson, now famously replied basically with Martini's quote, but Senator, you're no Jack Kennedy. (laughs) which was only 11 years before this special. But even then, that quote had been through the ringer already. (laughs) Well, meanwhile, aggressively trying to catch up with the bus is the now angry again postman forcing trucks off the road just to catch up until Martini perfectly launches a paper airplane out of the window of a moving bus and into the postman's ear. That was a very impressive paper airplane toss. It's very precise. Have you ever seen those machines at like a science center, like a Franklin Institute type place where you kind of feed a paper airplane that you make into one of those sets of rolling machines and try and get it through a target? I'm terrible at those. <laughs> My daughters are better than me at that. Aww. It helped that the postman was on his side of the bus. It's one of those mail trucks with the driver's seats on the other side. Yeah, that that actually made sense to me because, you know, you, you, you never know what kind of a post office vehicle you're going to have you're going to see but yeah i've seen plenty of them with the with the driver's seat on the right side so down here i see a lot of people just in their cars <laughs> that's where we are well i mean if you think about um how many places still have their mailboxes out like on the curb that's why the driver's seat is in the right side yeah because you drive on the right side of the road and it's easier for the post carrier to just put the Letters in that way. Without having to get out of their car. Yeah. So it's still another couple of hours before this bus makes it to Arctic Junction. Right now, they're only passing Frostbite Falls. I caught that. (laughs) Cheeble Winkle. (laughs) They're not even into Canada yet, but they're close. (laughs) Hey, rookie. Hey, rookie. (laughs) That was way better. (laughs) Bullwinkle is at uh, Universal Studios, and one time he tried to walk off with my baby stroller. 
<laughs> As a joke. <laughs> Did he think Rocky was in it? She was fast asleep, but it's just like, hey, remember that time Bullwinkle almost kidnapped our child? <laughs> they do speed it up. We quickly check in on Tim, who's realized he was too hard on Olive. And then we're back on the bus and they've arrived at Arctic Junction just as the sun sets. It's December. The sun should have set a while ago. <laughs> the bus from there to the North Pole doesn't leave for another hour. So Richard stands, stops at a rest area so everyone can get something to eat. Yum. And as we see the overhead shot of the bus pulling in, we also see the postman pulling behind them and sneak the other way around the back of the restaurant there, where he disguises himself in a diner waitress's uniform and a blue beehive that doesn't look familiar at all. <laughs> Marge, please. <laughs> Hiding his mustache behind a notepad, but takes the group from the bus's orders. Did no one else working at this diner notice some stranger just came in and started working there? Also, what happened to the waitress? Yeah, it's not that big of a place. <laughs> News anchor on the radio comes on and reports Santa is expected to cancel his flight and everyone in the diner suddenly sighs sadly until Olive stands up on her table and tells them all she's on her way to help save Christmas. I'm Olive and I'm going to the North Pole to help Santa. I'm the other reindeer. What's the matter? Haven't you people ever seen a small dog-like reindeer before? I live! I live! I live! I live! I live! And that's when the postman disguises the waitress as, Oh, you're Olive the other reindeer? Santa's waiting for you out the back. He wants to give you a flying test. She buys it, and the postman grabs her, tosses her in the back of his truck, and drives off. Singing, it's beginning to look nothing like Christmas. Will be right back. I've got the latest, greatest music with 24 days to go. A book on Eastern tunics with 23 days to go. I picked up all the hottest toys, a digital camera I enjoy. Finished all my shopping with 21 days to go. And now, thanks to Amazon.com. I'm sucking down the eggnog with 20 days to go Practicing my yoga with 19 days to go Nothing else to do today but worry about why you pay Soaking in a bubble bath with 15 days to go And now, back to our show. Yay. While in the back of the truck, Olive notices a letter to Santa that reads, I hate you and I hope you never come again. Stay home. Love, Bobby. <laughs> And also a package for her from Deus Ex Machina. <laughs> Such a good, bad joke. That's a bit on the nose. I loved it. That's the label <laughs> on the package. Look it up, kids. No child's going to get that. <laughs> <laughs> now they will because Wikipedia. <laughs> but I'm not about to like go to my room and flip through the Encyclopedia Britannica. What's a Deus Ex Machina? <laughs> Inside is a metal file like the ones the monkeys were using, and she files her way out of the truck without the postman noticing. And back she walks, very sadly, to Arctic Junction, where Martini's waiting for her, saying they found the waitress's clothes and figure out what was up too late to stop the postman. And now, Olive's too late to catch the last bus on the night of the North Pole. Richard, unfortunately, has to get back to the depot, but says someone in the bar next to the restaurant might be able to take Olive the rest of the way. 
So in she and Martini go to the top of the world bar where they find a gaggle of mean-looking reindeer playing poker, a band of elves playing the blues on stage, and other shady-looking patrons, all of whom stop and stare at Olive when she mentions she needs a ride to the North Pole so she can save Christmas. I wish Hammerhead was there. (laughs) And Greedo. No sign. Yeah, Greedo would have been a good one. It's Fox. They could have done it. (laughs) (laughs) Martini shot first. (laughs) (laughs) And she's approached by a particularly mean reindeer and the bar's owner who decide to test all of flight skills by tossing her around the place until they accidentally toss her when they're an elf named Arturo. It's a miracle. We found another flying reindeer, and Christmas is back on again. Ow! Sorry, Arturo. And that quick ow is Matt Groening himself for a quick cameo. Ow, Arturo! (laughs) We'll get to the other two in a minute. They threaten to take her up to the roof to see how she flies, and she finally starts barking loudly and stands up for herself. And Martini saying at least she's trying to save Christmas and no one else seems to be interested. It's a two-way street. Santa doesn't just give you stuff because you ask. You have to deserve it. I'm trying to deserve the good things I have and the good things I hope I will have in the future. If you want me to fail, then I guess it's too late to save Christmas. It's already gone. And that makes everyone else see the error in their ways, including the aforementioned reindeer, who we later learn is Blitzen's flightless cousin, Schnitzel. And the first time I watched this, I remember struggling to figure out whose voice that is till he starts singing, It's Michael Stipe from R.E.M. When you're this far north with no sunlight Sometimes tempers fray Life's hard enough and now Santa's flight It's been an awful day Employment in these latitudes depends on old same neck. So forgive us if we all have attitudes. We're up a frozen crack. Is this an episode of Are You Talking REM Remy? <laughs> it is now. Excellent. From Chronic to Collapse, down into now, respectively. <laughs> the intro to a podcast, I don't know if anyone else listening to this knows. Well, y'all should listen. It's a good one. (laughs) And the bar owner is another Mondegreen name. It's Round John Virgin. Oh, like in the Silent Night song. I don't know what you're talking about. Anyway, Round John can take you as far as the North Pole gates. After that, you're on your own. Voiced by Mitch Rouse, co-creator of Comedy Central's Strangers with Candy, along with Stephen Colbert and Amy Sedaris. Round John Virgin offers to drive Olive to the gates of Santa's workshop, but after that, she's on her own. Of note, Round John's truck is a plow with a label on the side that says Polar Express. Mm. I remember it being a bit bigger, but no matter. (laughs) He also feels bad because he really wants a nice drill, but he certainly hasn't earned it with his actions. No, he sure hasn't. (laughs) But maybe now he'll atone and get that drill. You know the drill. Mm. So, um, are we done talking about Stipe? Because I can, you know. No, go talk about Stipe. <laughs> Never. <laughs> That's why I watched this in 99. <laughs> I mean, R.E.M.'s my favorite band. They changed my life, yada, yada, yada. Um, but yeah, I knew he was in this. And because he was friends with Drew Barrymore, I'm sure. That's why he got, you know, he was cast and she asked him. I believe he said that much in that making of special. And uh, yes. he said that he had to enunciate more. 
This is also the oddest uh, credit probably in his career, even more so than uh, Mr. Scummy on Pete and Pete. Oh, wow. Yeah. You look like a bona fide sludgesicle man. <laughs> and also in the um, the making of bit, he said that was his first time doing uh, animation. And Aaron was like, what'd you say? Mmm, curds. Because <laughs> that came on The Simpsons like two years later. <laughs> I also appreciate how Schnitzel is wearing, like, probably not. I don't know. It it, it just looks to me like, um, like bondage wear. It did. Yes. Thank you. I forgot to write that note. Like, like it does not look like a harness for flying, especially since he's flightless. Like a leather daddy. Yeah. Yes. No. And that's exactly what he's wearing. <laughs> There's no mistaking that as an adult. Also uh, at the bar, I was joking about the, um, you know, the Star Wars Cantina characters being there. That Easter bunny was kind of weird and surly. Oh, yeah. I forgot they, about the surly Easter bunny. They had the song, you know, we're not so bad, except for except for that bunny. That's pretty bad. Yeah, that bunny <laughs> looks pretty bad. <laughs> okay. Like, I felt like the bunny was going to flip us off at one point. <laughs> <laughs> so as Round John drives Olive to Santa's workshop, we see it creeping over the snowy hills and the highest point of his castle is a lit Hanukkah menorah. Yes, I caught that. Don't know why it's lit, though. It's Christmas Eve, and Hanukkah in 1999 ended on the 11th. But <laughs> I love that you looked that up. Of course I it's did. It's just decoration for, for those who don't understand. There you go. <laughs> they made an effort. They did, absolutely. Just outside the gates of Santa's little complex here, a news reporter, also voiced by Tress McNeil, tells us Santa is still expected to cancel his flight in a few short minutes. Anonymous high-ranking elves are confirming that Santa will shortly make a statement, officially canceling his traditional Christmas Eve flight. I did hear her during one of the parts where it's a bunch of reporters talking at the same time saying something about the Y2K bug. There's 1999. <laughs> I mean, we know about the Y2J problem. Oh. Is Chris Jericho in any Christmas anything? He feels like he should be. He should be. No. I don't think so. I don't so. think so. I mean, Mike the Miz Mizanin is. Yes, he is. <laughs> um, the Big Show certainly is. Oh, my goodness. Did he beat up a Santa once? It feels like a thing he would I have mean, done. I'm sure. It's not a Christmas special. No. No, that's just Vince McMahon loves to see Santa getting beat up. Yeah. <laughs> that's good stuff. <laughs> Olive walks up to an elf at the security gate and she's not on his list. So he repeatedly and rudely tells her no to get back where she came from. So a detective Olive goes to make a call from a nearby payphone. Hey, remember payphones? I'm out of payphones. <laughs> Somebody in this uh, wrote a song about one once. But that gives Martini an idea, and he goes back to the security elf, leaves him a gift-wrapped knockoff Rolex watch labeled From Santa. The watch is broken, but it came with a hastily made card with City Zoo crossed out and a phone number for Authorized Repair Center written in its place in pen. The elf calls the number, and it's the number of the payphone where Martini picks up and tells him he'll send a repair penguin to take a look at that watch. Shows up and says to fix it, he'll have to recalibrate the time as an actual time itself. And to do that, he'll need the elf to briefly shut the power, and that gives Olive enough time 
to dig under the apparently electric gold fence into Santa's workshop. Like the pearly gates. It is like the pearly gates. <laughs> Careful under that gold fence. <laughs> Just in time for the postman to return and deliver a large bag of last minute letters to Santa. Apparently, the whole bag is full of nasty letters like the one Olive read earlier. Santa starts reading them off very sadly, and he has a last-minute huddle with Mrs. Claus and his seven other reindeer right before he's about to give that press conference. That that plot point sounds very familiar. Who wrote those letters? All of us? <laughs> All of us. Oh. I wrote the letter. Father. <laughs> also, um, Mrs. Claus is also Trust McNeil. But she's doing the mom's friendly robot company voice. Yes! There must be some way you could go. Mrs. Claus sounds exactly like mom. <laughs> well, I just looked it up. because I mean, obviously, there's multiple Futurama people in this. Futurama debuted in early 99. So they were in production at the exact same time. Yeah, I think March. So, yeah, that makes sense. Double duty at the studio. And hey, meet and greet with Drew Barrymore. <laughs> But now Santa's thinking maybe he should just retire, but Olive reveals herself and that all the letters are fake. She can tell they were planted by the postman because none of the envelopes have postmarks. At least Albert thought of that, and this postman's plan is about to go kerplunk. <laughs> Kerplooey. <laughs> Olive then introduces herself as the replacement reindeer Santa asked for. Well, can you fly, Olive? Can you afford not to find out? Well, now. She reassures Santa that people everywhere love him and are counting on him tonight and give her a chance for their sakes, and that's enough to raise Santa's spirits and the flight is back on. And Comet, also voiced by Mitch Rouse, hitches up Olive with the rest of the team, and here's where Olive asks a question I've asked more than once on this podcast. <laughs> So Santa can't fly with seven reindeer, then rares Rudolph. There's no Rudolph. It's just one of those urban legends. Well, that that explains that. <laughs> Meanwhile, the postman, still inside the gates, sneaks up and finds Santa's sack of toys. And while that's going on, Martini's talking to every reporter outside about his close personal friend, Olive. So her story is now on every TV channel. Santa's clear for takeoff, and Olive struggles at first, but then she starts flapping her ears and looking down as the other seven do most of the heavy lifting, and that convinces her enough that, sure, she's flying. This counts. We see her kind of even out a bit instead of just being dragged, but wait. Santa's sack is filled with junk mail. The postman switched bags with him. Martini notices the mail truck after some of the media vans start to leave, and the postman grabs the penguin, too, ties him up in the back of the truck, while the postman rummages through Santa's sack to find the toy train set he wanted as a kid, but never got, because Santa started putting him on the naughty list. Well, that's some backstory we could have used, like, 30 minutes ago. <laughs> There's so many things where, where the bad guy who tries to thwart Santa and Christmas all together... It's just some petty issue, like, I didn't get the thing that I wanted, or or Santa never got my letter. <laughs> like Professor Hinkle. Yeah. Yeah. But earlier, he said he just didn't want to work, so come yeah, on. Yeah, I like this story better than I don't like it when my mailbag gets heavier. <laughs> Back with Santa, he arrives at his first stop, an already exhausted Olive panting, when they realize the bags have been switched, and now it's time for Olive to embrace her inner dog. 
She sniffs the bag, recognizes the smell as the postman's, and tells Santa to get back in the air and head north so she can pick up the scent, which she does because her true power all along was the world's most powerful sense of smell. Who knew? And a nose power like Rudolph. Yeah. Yeah. She picks up the postman's truck, leaving the North Pole on an otherwise deserted highway. Santa flies down on top of the truck, and Olive and the postman struggle for a bit while Martini uses, this reminded me of the tunnel scene in Back to the Future 2. <laughs> with the hoverboard. <laughs> the postman should have driven into some manure. <laughs> <laughs> I hate manure. <laughs> Olive and the postman struggle for a bit while Martini uses a jack-in-the-box knocked loose in Santa's real bag to scare the postman into crashing into a decidedly not menorish snowbank. <laughs> and he does so slowly, too. I appreciate that. No injuries. No, very nice. Olive unties Martini, asks if he's okay, and he replies, shaken, but not stirred. <laughs> Santa apologizes that he can't offer Martini a lift, but Martini says he'll just drive home with the now duct-taped and wrapped postman sitting in the back of the truck. <laughs> and Olive takes a look at two of the larger cardboard envelopes in the truck and decides to fashion wings out of them, and that helps her keep up with the rest of the reindeer. And finally, we get more of Drew Barrymore singing. <laughs> this song's called Merry Christmas After All. And this time she's accompanied by the most 1999 band I can think of, <laughs> Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. I don't have antlers, I don't have hooves. How flying works, I have no clue. But now I've got the reindeer moves. I'm a true blue member of the crew. Good to call it to remind us you can't give up on Christmas Eve. Now the trouble's all behind us. I saw Big Bad Voodoo Daddy in concert twice. I saw Big Bad Voodoo Daddy at Epcot. <laughs> that's better. <laughs> they, well, they're considered retro now, so that's why they're playing Epcot. <laughs> A couple things I like about this Around the World with Santa and Olive montage. Uh, they pass, they fly past Big Ben in London, and the face of the clock is advertising Rolex with three Rolex. X's. <laughs> They stop in Japan and deliver gifts to a fighting Godzilla and a giant robot that's supposed to be like Ultraman. I couldn't tell you which Ultraman variety it is, but <laughs> that's Japan. Yeah, I love that. And wait for it. Uh, well, they got more. They deliver a back scratcher to Quasimodo in Paris, and then oh, yeah. they go to Rome and deliver a gift to the Pope. It's a Phillies baseball cap. Absolutely a Phillies we, hat. We popped so hard when that happened. <laughs> I like, think I Oh my gosh. <laughs> and, and it's unmistakably a Phillies. Okay, you can say that the P is for Pope or whatever, but that's definitely the same red that they switched to in 1992. Yeah. And the weird font that they used throughout the whole thing, that's definitely the Phillies P that they adopted at the same time. Absolutely. It is unmistakably the Phillies P. It's not even like that crazy font they use all throughout this special. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what I think the joke was. Pope starts with P, but yeah. he must yeah. like hats. So does Padres. Yeah, so. the Pope should be a San Diego fan. <laughs> hey, yeah. But but yeah, that made me so happy that we were both like, the Phillies on for the Pope. I, I too was like, oh, don't wake up, children. Because I watch all of these very late at night, but 
<laughs> I am accepting the canon. This special has established that the now Saint John Paul II was a Phillies fan. Yeah. He came to Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. There you go. He's the patron saint of the Phillies. He didn't go anywhere else, obviously. <laughs> was he here circa like 1980? I was really little. I was a baby. Was he here in 1980 and then the Phillies won the World Series in 1980? That's what I'm thinking. Uh, he was here in 79. Ooh. So they were still. That was an embryo. Both of you were. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, wait. When in 79? September? No, I wasn't even that's that. That's an article from September. <laughs> oh, that's just. This says it was October. Okay. So right nope. around the playoffs. Nope, I wasn't. I was nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one month older than you. There I was go. nothing. <laughs> yeah. uh, and finally, Santa's done. The last house they visit is the Zizus, spelled Z-Z-Y-Z-U. Is this special insinuating Santa delivers everyone's gift alphabetically? Yes, which makes no sense because you could have, you know... Aaron next to Zykowski or whatever. Right? Y'all, I'm a W and can confirm that's not accurate. <laughs> Did we miss when the, the monkeys and everybody get out of the zoo? Oh, uh, because I love that, too. The Ukuk monkeys escape. It's like the army of the 12 monkeys also in Philadelphia. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know who's working on this special that's like a closet Philly fan. <laughs> So Santa's headed back to the North Pole, but they run into some fog again. With no Rudolph in this universe, it's up to Olive and her suddenly sonic sense of smell to follow the trail of Mrs. Claus's gingerbread cookies to lead them back to the North Pole, where Santa gives out his last batch of presents to his staff and crew, including a headband with antlers for Olive. Aww. She's honored and thankful, but decides to go home to Tim, now realizing she truly is his dog. But was absolutely happy to help save Christmas just by convincing everyone else to do their best, as she put it. She goes home to a relieved Tim, while Martini returns to the zoo to the praise of the animals who haven't escaped. (laughs) Because they all saw him on TV. The zookeeper offers Martini his job back. Oh, I forgot to write down who was the... Zoo the zookeeper? Keeper? Yeah. It's Diedrich Bader. That's it. Diedrich Bader. I'm like, the guy from The Thing. Thank you. The guy, the guy from The Thing is perfectly adequate. <laughs> yeah. Was he a, a Batman? He was a Batman. He was Batman on Batman Brave and the Bold. That was it. He was? Yeah. I did not know that. And is he? Oh, he's on Harley, the new HBO whatever Harley Quinn, but he's not. Oh, he's Batman on that, too. Wow. Hey, yeah. all right. He's Batman. The zookeeper offers Martini his job back, but he declines instead joining the postal service and dropping off a still-wrapped, angrier-than-ever postman, now with a cylindrical mail container strapped to his face like a beak. We go out with a montage of everyone getting what they wanted for Christmas. Fido got Olive a pair of opposable thumbs. (laughs) Round John Virgin got that drill. Oh, by the way, it's a drill. A drill, yes. (laughs) It's the label on it just says a drill. (laughs) Olive got Tim a pair of slightly chewed slippers. Martini (laughs) is installed as a postman by the actual embodiment of Uncle Sam. (laughs) (laughs) Better him than uh, Louis DeJoy. Yep. Uh, And even the other penguins at the zoo give their new friend, the postman, a present. It's a box full of dead fish. And it's so sweet of them. Yes, and he loves it and starts crying. 
Aww. It's the first time he's gotten a gift in a long time. Aww. Meanwhile, Santa's fast asleep on his recliner with college football on TV, and <laughs> we fade out with Olive's honorary antlers hanging on top of her doghouse, and, and that's it. But what a cute special. I loved this. I mean, I seriously hadn't seen it in, you know, 20 years. I guess I only saw it that one time. I remembered, I remembered, you know, the joke of the title. I remember what it looked like. I remember being cute. And I remembered a bit of Michael's song. And that was about it. That's why I picked this and suggested it. I'm like, I loved this. It was really good. It was really funny. We were laughing a lot. It was really well done. I have, you know, nothing but great things to say about this special. I hope that it gets rediscovered thanks to this podcast. But I'm glad that there were so many people that were younger than us that, like I said, we're applying to the tweets when you post on Instagram today. They were like, oh, I love this great choice. I'm really excited. Yeah, I hope a if lot. If you of- can make a, a thing out of uh, Jingle All the Way, <laughs> like make a tradition out of that. Why not this? <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm glad like kids about 10, 15 years younger than us remember this so fondly. I hope this becomes a very beloved special. I wish it had more staying powder, but this is a Fox joint. Put it on Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. Mm. Any final thoughts on all of the other reindeer? Yeah, I, yeah. Uh, yeah, nothing but great things to say about this one. After, especially after the last ones we did together, were say the Wacky Wall Walkers, <laughs> Brave Star, Brave Star. <laughs> we're back. We could have one that wasn't a toy commercial and just a really delightful Christmas story. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And on that note, if people want to express ship you a package from your old pal Deus Ex Machina, <laughs> where can they find you on the internet, Aaron? I'm on Twitter, Miss Aaron M. Evans, M.S. Aaron M. Evans. And Joey. I'm at I'm Gonna DJ 24, which, yes, is an REM reference. <laughs> and on Why Not Radio, which we are uh, close to counting down our top uh, 220 songs of 2020. Uh, Depending on when this airs, we might still be uh, accepting votes for that. And then the countdown will be uh, close to New Year's ish. Stay tuned. Please tune in. Uh, And thank you for reminding me this exists. I hope it becomes popular again. It's delightful as Drew herself. Yes. Yes. Although I I could say, you know, if if they have everything so flat and 2D and things just going off of like one side, they could have just put her mouth going off the one side like Drew. Yeah, they could have. Why didn't they? I don't know. Eh. But I enjoy it. Yes. Delightful. <laughs> well, as usual, you can follow your nose to adventcalendar.house for all of our episodes and show notes, and on Twitter at adventcalhouse, and on Instagram at adventcalendarhouse. Tune in next time on Christmas Eve. Until then, for Joey Owen, Aaron Evans, in the back of a mail truck being driven in a fit of road rage as far away from the North Pole as speedily as possible, this is Mike Westfall saying, slow down or you'll hit an icy patch. <laughs> Good night. And now, these messages. Do you like podcasts about Christmas? Uh-huh. Do you like podcasts about movies? Uh-huh. Well, we have a podcast for you. I'm intrigued. I'm John. And I'm Ben. And we're the hosts of Santa by the Minute. The only podcast that breaks down 1985's Santa Claus the movie one minute at a time. The holiday classic starring John Lithgow. 
It certainly should be. <laughs> Dudley Moore. Isn't it self-explanatory? I'm an elf. An elf? Yes. And David Huddleston. Hold on tight and don't worry. You'll be as safe here as you are in your own home. You won't want to miss as Ben and I talk about one minute of the movie every single week. Stop! Are you insane? We post a brand new episode every Wednesday, and every episode is... For free! Hello, everyone. I'm Sean, and I host the Christmas Podcasts podcast. We work in conjunction with ChristmasPodcasts.com, and our goal is to bring the world of Christmas podcasts to the masses. We work with Christmas creators to let you know who they are, what their podcast is about, and to bring their podcasts to your attention. If you are looking for your Christmas podcast fix, you've come to the right place. We are Christmas creators ourselves. We have been making merry online since 1991 over at MyMerryChristmas.com. We don't do this to toot our own horn, though. ChristmasPodcasts.com, like most of what we do, is completely fan-driven. It was born of an idea that the world of Christmas online needed a resource like this. Instead of building it into our own website, we just provide the technical support needed for the Christmas community to make it happen. Christmas Podcasts podcast is all about you, the fans of Christmas and podcasts. Next time on the season finale of the Advent Calendar House. Goodness makes the madness go away.